0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me ask you to turn in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 1. The kids, 4 and 5 year olds, can be dismissed uh, out to my left to go to Children's Church if they'd like. Uh, you're right. And uh, you heard J.R. Vassar there on, uh, on the screen. Many of you may have wondered who that was. J.R. Vassar is the pastor of Apostles Church in New York City. And uh, By Name is an initiative that was birthed out of that church. And uh, we're picking up on it. And uh, they ask their people to pray for six weeks. We're asking you to pray for four weeks. But today, uh, I want to take a a break again. Last week, we were away from 1 Corinthians. And this week, we'll again be away from 1 Corinthians in the book of John, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians has been... um, very formative, even corrective, very heady, serious doctrine, dealing with topics that are in a lot of ways and a lot of times very uncomfortable. We, we're, we don't know what to do with them. Well, today we're going to a text that's very narrative. It is a story, but just because we come to a narrative story section of the Bible, don't let your guard down to think that, oh, I know this. Don't treat this as if this is just a fairy tale or just a nursery rhyme. But this is indeed still the word of God. This is the story of redemption in Christ, and I want to show you in this text today, particularly four disciples that were called out by name to follow Christ. And I want to show you what those individuals kind of look like. Who they're they're a little different. Each of them come from a little different background or perspective. And then I want to show you the power of God to transform them. And then I want to end today by asking you two questions, points of application, and then we'll turn the writing on the walls uh, over to you. But uh, let's read this passage together. John 1, just follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 35. The Bible says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida. The city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I want to show you in this text today, I'm praying that God would open your eyes to the people around you who are very much, in a lot of ways, like the people that are called out here by name. Jesus calls, God calls different types of people to Himself. They're not people just like you and I. In fact, there's no stereotype in this room of what we're all like. Isn't that true? Don't we all come from different walks? Don't we all come from different backgrounds? Some of us grew up in church. My story is that I was in church not only every time the doors were open, but I was there even when the doors weren't open. My mom was the pastor's secretary, so I would get her keys from time to time and and go and sneak into the building and play basketball or climb out on the roof or mess with the baptistry or all sorts of things that, you know, nine-year-old kids like to do. But some of you, that's not your story at all. Some of you didn't grow up in church. You didn't grow up around church. You didn't have parents that went to church. You may have heard stories about Jesus every now and then, but it was from a stranger, someone outside of the family, and you were never, never nurtured toward Christ. In this very room, this, we're made up of each extreme and, and even beyond those extremes, and then everywhere in the middle. Jesus calls different types of people and I want you to see this. This is not the main point of the text but I want to show you these people to show you that your friends and family members and co-workers and neighbors are not so different than these original disciples. First, Jesus called a man by the name of Andrew. Andrew is the very first disciple named by name. He's known we, we don't know a whole lot about him but um, but we, we do know that here we see him being curious following after this Jesus whom John the Baptist who was his mentor pointed to and said behold the Lamb of God and so it's Andrew is curious and he just he just begins to walk after Jesus he just begins to follow him he's curious and when Jesus turns and asks him a question what are you seeking he appears to be also somewhat clueless now, I think this answer is somewhat comical. Jesus says, what are you seeking? And he says, uh, Jesus, uh, well, where are you staying? As if he's just been caught following him. He didn't want to be that guy that stalks him. And so he just sort of, on the, uh, well, where, where are you staying? He's curious. He's clueless. He's like the others. He was a fisherman. He's eager to follow Jesus. Later on, we see that he's eager to bring other people to Jesus. Not yet, but we will very shortly. We see in the very next few verses, we see him bringing his own brother, Simon. Simon, we found the Messiah. And he brings Simon to Jesus. In chapter 6, verse 8 and 9, it was Andrew who brought the little boy who had the, the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. In chapter 12 of John, verse 22, when when some of the Greeks or the Gentiles decide they want to see Jesus, it's Andrew who brings them to Jesus. We don't know a whole lot about Andrew, but mostly what we know of Andrew, most every time he is mentioned in Scripture, he is mentioned as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. In other words, he's living in the shadow of someone else. This was always my, my, my case, my example. I, I lived this way. Not by my older sister. It's, it's one thing to, to live in the shadow of an older sibling, but I lived in the shadow of my younger sibling. I go back home today and, and people say, you know, you sound familiar, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I know you. I said, well, do you, do you know Christy? You're Christy's brother? Some of you in this room could say you've lived in the shadow of somebody else all your life. Maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a coworker. maybe it's a, a rival. But you've lived in the shadow of someone else. Andrew was the first follower of Jesus to be identified by name, but he fades into the black of his big brother. We don't know much about him. It's not that, that um, a person like Andrew, some of you have friends like Andrew that live in the shadow of someone else, it's not that you wouldn't want them to come to Jesus or that you wouldn't want to invite them to church, but you just don't think about them. You don't think about them because they're never the star, they're never in the spotlight. And some of you, how many of you would say that that was you, living in the shadow of Someone else, an older or a younger sibling or a parent or a rival or a colleague or a boss or someone. Be encouraged by the example of Andrew because God calls those, everyone, not just favorites. In fact, God has no favorites. It's not as if he just goes to the Simon Peters and says, oh, there's Simon Peter. I've got to get him on my team. It's LeBron. It's Kobe. It's Michael Jordan. No, 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 no. God also calls Scotty Pippins. God calls those who are living in the shadow of others. Second person identified here that that comes following after Jesus is Simon. In verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. Now we know lots about Simon, don't we? Simon is the one who is always quick to speak. And quick to act. Simon would often write checks with his mouth that his body couldn't cash. He's the one who steps out of the boat. He's the one who attempts to rebuke Jesus. When Jesus is talking about what he must go through and endure. He's the one who Jesus rebuked. And called Satan. He's the one who denied Jesus three times. He's the one who is boisterous and loud. Simon is that guy that you... Are not real comfortable inviting to church. Because if he comes, you're not sure what he's going to say or what he's going to do, and you don't want to be the guy that invited him or her, right? You know they need Jesus, but it just makes you a little nervous to bring them around church people, you know? How many of you were Simon? How many of you were the person that people were nervous when you would come around their church friends? are you glad that someone stepped out of their comfort zone and went beyond what, what was comfortable for them and invited you to Christ? Be encouraged. God calls people who are rough and imperfect. The third person by name in this passage is Philip. The next day, in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. I include verse 44 there to show you that he's from the same very hometown as Andrew and Simon, or Andrew and Peter. Simon becomes Peter. But Philip is so ordinary and unknown that it's apparently not even their idea to go and get him. Andrew immediately thinks of Simon. I've got to go get my brother. we found the Messiah. But this guy from their hometown, and before you think that Bethsaida is this large metropolis of a city, it literally means house of fishing. It is a fishing village. It is tiny. I mean, it is, it, it, it is cashful. Okay? It's, 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 it's tiny. And people from there would know one another. And he's apparently so ordinary and unqualified and... In the background that Andrew and Simon don't even think to go get him. Look, look, I point this out to you because in verse 43, it's Jesus who decides to go to Galilee. It's not Andrew and Simon saying, hey, Jesus, Jesus, we know this other guy. Can we go get him? No, it's Jesus who decides to go and find Philip. It's Jesus who finds him. Now, you may have friends like Philip. You would, you would invite them if you knew them. But see, they're not friends at all because you don't know them. They're people that go unnoticed in your everyday life. It's the guy that works in the cubicle across the way. It, it's, the, it's the neighbor across the road and down the street you see him sometime cutting his grass, but you know, you, you've never had that conversation to go over and introduce yourself. It's, it's the girl who sits in the cafeteria and eats her lunch by herself. She's in your PE class, but you don't know her name. It's the guy who stands at the off ramp of 385 with a cardboard sign. It's, by the way, nothing totally unrelated, but last Weekend before I preached out of 1 Timothy for the ordination service, I came down the off ramp to Woodruff Road off of 385. Got down to the bottom, there's a homeless man holding a cardboard sign saying, Need work, anything helps. And the Spirit prompted me to give him something, and so I rolled my window down and I, I handed him two three dollars, whatever it was, whatever I had on me. And he said to me, What's your favorite Bible verse? Well, I I thought he said person. I thought he said, what's your favorite Bible person? So I said, Jesus. He said, John 3.16? I said, sure, John 3.16. He said, do me a favor. Go read First Timothy. Knowing that I had been reading First Timothy all week long, preparing for the message. Been in First Corinthians for months, but this is how God works. Don't ever think that God's not already working in the lives of the Philips who are around you. How many of you were like Philip? How many of you were were that Philip who nobody saw, nobody knew you, nobody knew your name, nobody wanted to know your name? Your, Your biggest concern was not whether or not you'd be picked for a team in kickball. You just wanted to be in PE. Nobody saw you. Nobody saw you. At all. And some of you were Philip, but you were ordinary, you were unseen, you were unknown. But be encouraged, Jesus goes out of his way to call Philip's. fourth person named here is Nathaniel. Verses 45 and 46, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Maybe this was Philip's only friend. We read in the rest of the Gospels, Philip and, and Nathaniel are together all the time. Nathaniel, his other name is Bartholomew, is how he's otherwise known. They're together all the time. Maybe this was Philip's only real friend. And he goes and he gets his friend. He goes and gets Nathaniel. Nathanael, though is skeptical and he's it's a little bit prejudice. It's closed off to this thing. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Nathaniel's not really one to talk. Nathaniel, it's not like Nathaniel was coming from Jerusalem. Nathaniel was from Cana. Cana was about two miles away. And Cana was also a small little town. This question, can anything good come out of Nazareth, is answered in the very next chapter where Jesus turns the water into wine in Cana. You would invite somebody like Nathaniel. You would invite a friend like Nathaniel who is skeptical and, and, and prejudiced against the thing of church and organized religion and, and Christianity. But you're convinced that they would just say no. You've told yourself, man, I know they need Jesus, they need to know the Lord, but they would, they would say no. And so you don't bother. Or maybe you're convinced that they might have questions that you won't have the answers to. You won't know how to, how to answer these questions, and so you'd rather not mess with that. In this very room, there are some of you that at one time were Nathaniel's. You were skeptical and you were prejudiced against the church. But Jesus has done a work in your life and caused you to love the bride, love the body. Some of you in this room, you at one time said organized religion, I don't want anything to do with that. It's simply the opiate of the masses. Be encouraged. Jesus patiently pursues even the most hardened skeptics he has the answer he is the answer to all of their questions so those are the four people identified and, and maybe you see those people and you say I, you know i do have friends that maybe would fit there maybe i've got a family member that fits one of those those caricatures maybe i've got a coworker that man fits right into that but don't get caught up in the fact that there's just these four types of people that come to christ These are just four. There are many, many more. If you read the rest of the book, there are people from all different walks of life. If we were to go around and just simply just share testimony of our background and how we came to Christ, we would find out that God calls literally all kinds of people because it is not about the kind of person you are or how qualified you are or what makes you special or stand out. It is His Sovereign grace That calls you to himself Don't underestimate the power of Christ We're going to ask you over these next 28 days To to be praying by name for this person To intentionally try to connect Maybe for some of you it will look like this Maybe you will say to a neighbor Hey, we've been neighbors for a long time We've borrowed tools and back and forth And all sorts of things I was wondering, would you and your wife Just like to come over to the house and have dinner This Friday night with, with me and my wife? Maybe you just connect with them that way. Maybe you you then tell them just the story of how God invaded or interrupted your life with grace. You're praying for them for 28 days. You're connecting with them at some point in a relational way. And then you're inviting them to come on Easter Sunday. And we're going to pray that they would be challenged and confronted with the gospel. And see that God might call several of them out. We're going to equip you. I'll get into more of this later. But we're going to equip you with, with story booklets of how you can walk through the gospel with these people. If you need other resources, we can help with some of those. But we want you to take this seriously. But as you see these people in your life, don't underestimate the power of Christ. Let me walk through this and show you how Jesus met every need and called them in spite of themselves. Number one, Jesus gives sight to the blind. Remember what, remember what Jesus says to Andrew when Andrew's walking after him? It's actually Andrew and John. John doesn't name himself, but he's the other disciple walking after Jesus. Do you remember what he says to him? What are you seeking? What are you seeking? Andrew spouts off and says, uh, Jesus, uh, w- where are you staying? What is it that Jesus says to him? come. And you will see. Don't miss the fact that there is bigger spiritual meaning there. It's not simply come and you're going to see where I'm staying. You're going to see the, the, the bedroom and the kitchen and all that. He's saying, come walk with me. Come follow me. And as you come and follow me, you will truly see. You may have a friend who is seeking, but she seems to be groping in the darkness and going down all the wrong paths. Then bring her to the one who can make her truly See. Secondly, Jesus changes identities. Remember when he encounters Simon and Simon comes, Andrew goes and gets Simon and says, Andrew, or Simon, we've, we've found the Messiah. Simon goes. He doesn't question. He doesn't, he doesn't balk at that. He goes. He wants to see. He's, this is Simon's character. <laughs> Something to look at. Let's go see it. Right? He comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, So, you're Simon, son of John. From now on, you'll be called Peter. From now on, you're going to be Cephas. Now imagine, Simon was never one to, to hold back any words, was he? Imagine encountering someone for the first time. First time they meet you, they say, Yes, so, your name is Bob. From now on, you're called Dave. How would you react? You can't change my name. Who do you think you are? You have no authority to change my name. I imagine that Simon went through that, but at the end of the day, Jesus has all authority to change his name. And it's not just his name that he changes. Name in scripture is really representative of the entire person. And Jesus is saying to him, if you come and follow me, you will no longer be this Simon that's always sticking his foot in his mouth, but I'm going to conform you into the image of myself. And I'm going to call you Cephas. He changes his very identity. Reminds me of when the Pharisees questioned Jesus over telling the paralyzed man that that his sins had been forgiven. You remember the story where the man's friend, he was was paralyzed, and and his friends carried him on this cot. They got to the place where Jesus was teaching, and the place was just packed out. And so they did what was really ingenious. They went up on the roof, and they got up on the roof with this, this cot, and they got up on the roof and said, Well, now what? Well, let's dig through the roof. They dug through the roof and they lowered this man down in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at the man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people of the day are sitting in the room. They're hanging on every word of Jesus, just questioning everything, wanting to catch him in something. And they think it. They don't say it, but they think it. What authority does this man have? He can't forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, Jesus answers their thoughts and says, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before him, before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Some of you have friends that you know, that you believe they're beyond hope. They are rough around the edges. You're nervous to bring them to church. You know they need Jesus, but you think, man, there's no way they're ever going to change. And what you're underestimating is the fact that this is the one who has authority to forgive sins and to change names. He has the authority to call people who cannot walk to walk. And you will see your friend, your family member, your co-worker rise out of their sinful, dead life and walk. Many of you have been in that position and you now walk, not perfectly, but walk in life that has been given to you in Christ. Three, Jesus commands and people follow. Jesus commands and people follow. Jesus looks at Philip. Jesus takes the initiative. Jesus decides to go to Bethsaida or or into Galilee. And he finds Philip and he says to him, follow me. And we don't read anything about Philip saying anything. We We don't read anything about him asking any questions It's just assumed that he just follows Jesus. This was the story. Philip just followed Jesus. Next thing we see is he's inviting Nathaniel too. That's how we know he followed. Jesus simply says, follow me. Philip gets up, follows Jesus. This is the raw, sovereign authority of Jesus. He speaks and creation obeys. Planets orbit at his word. Waves crash. Birds migrate. Seasons change. Rain falls. The earth quakes. Kings tremble at his word. He is sovereign. Unsuspecting, once resistant people follow. You may have a family member who you've prayed for for years and you think will never, ever in a million years follow Christ. But when Yahweh speaks, they'll hear. Right, Ralph? Ralph's been praying for his son for years. Ralph got a phone call not too long back from that very son who was wayward for years. Ralph has been diligent praying, God, bring him back to you. Ralph gets a phone call. You'll never believe where I went today. I went to church today. And that very son sat right over there with Ralph just what, two, three weeks ago? Yeah. When Yahweh speaks, he speaks with divine sovereign authority. Don't ever think that a person is beyond the reach of God. God will save and call whomever he wants. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Bring them to the good shepherd. Four, Jesus knows a man inside and out. Verses 47-49, through 49, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. In whom there is no deceit? Does Jesus remember what he has just said? Nathanael had just said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus is not here making a statement about the sinless perfection of Nathanael. He's not saying that he is sinless. He is without deceit. What he's saying is he is so unlike the hypocritical Pharisees that I'm so used to dealing with. Who veil the truth for fear that it might cause some of their followers to walk away. Or that they might have to admit that he is God. But instead, he sees in Nathaniel a raw honesty, one who simply says it like it is, tells it like it is. Jesus sees him and says, I can work with a man like that. And also, he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, proving his sovereignty. He not only knows the inside condition of Nathaniel, knowing that he's not perfect, but he going to conform him to the image of Christ. He's going to call him to salvation. But he also physically knows his physical condition. He sees him in the situation that he's in. He saw Nathanael sitting under the fig tree. Jesus wasn't there. But he sees him. He sees Philip go to him. We don't know what Nathanael was doing under the fig tree. We don't know what was going on in his life. But Jesus sees him where he is. You may have a colleague who is full of doubt and questions on the inside or going through a really hard circumstance. They're obviously searching because they they keep groping after all sorts of other things and nothing seems to fill this longing within them. They're hurting. You can't seem to help them. Nothing seems to help them. Bring them to the one who sees them in their circumstance and has the grace and the power to lead them through it. Bring them to the one who knows them better than they know themselves. The one who sees them and knows their current situation. The one who welcomes their honesty and their questions and can answer every single one of them. Now, quickly. God is powerful and I could go on. I could go on to 50 and 51 and talk about Jesus there being the better ladder. The better access to God. I could go on and I could talk about the the angels ascending and descending on Jesus that are sent back and forth to, to continually minister to the one who's called to follow, to see them all the way through to the full and final sanctification and glorification in Christ. But this should lead us to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Our following should lead us to ask ourselves, what am I seeking? We call you today to write names on a board. If, if this is simply in a minute you just getting up because everyone else does and just write a name on a board, then you're not following Jesus. You're just following the masses. You're following the crowds. If you, if you put a name up here simply because everyone else is doing it and you don't want to look like the only one who doesn't, then you're not following Jesus. But our following should lead us to ask ourselves, what am I seeking? Jesus turned back to Andrew and John and said, what are you seeking? And I would ask you today, are we seeking after only the things that ultimately benefit us? Are we here this morning? Do we take the name of Christ only because of what it does for us? Are we seeking only the benefits? Are we like the crowds that only wanted Miracles and bread. Or are we after him? You see, I think this is the bigger picture of what Jesus is meaning when he speaks to Andrew and he says, come and you will see. It wasn't about seeing the room where he was staying. It was about walking with him. What are you seeking? Are you seeking him? The second point of application for you today is, or a question to make you think today, our faith should lead to actions that will often bring us pain. This was missed by me so many times, but in verses 35 through 37, where we started out, we backed out of this text today, the Bible says the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. Don't miss that. Two of his disciples. Jesus walks by and he looks at Jesus and he nudges his disciples and he says, Hey, behold, the Lamb of God. And the Bible quickly tells, just almost passes over it, those two that heard him say that left John and followed Jesus. Put yourself in John's shoes. This had to have stung just a little bit. Even though John was the very one who said, He must increase and I must decrease. Even though John was the one who said, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. Human nature alone would tell us that he liked having disciples. He'd grown fond of these guys. He, he loved that, that they looked to him a little bit. He ultimately knows here that God is higher than him. That, that Jesus deserves all of their devotion. That Jesus is the treasure worth leaving everything for. But in his heart, for just a little bit, what he knew in his head didn't make it in translation. And haven't you had that experience you know what is right and you know what to believe. But oftentimes the, what we feel doesn't line up with it. And that's hard. And that's why I say to you today that our faith should lead to actions that will often bring us pain. They won't feel good. They won't feel right. They will hurt. But are we willing to live based on The truth of God's word instead of what our feelings are telling us. Are we willing to risk losing our friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors as our only personal followers? For the chance that they might become followers of Christ. You know this might happen, right? You know you might begin pursuing a co-worker to say, behold the Lamb of God. And they may reject you. It may ruin a relationship. They may turn on you because they don't want to hear any of that religious junk. Man, just leave me alone with that. Quit pushing that stuff on me. But they might also be like Andrew and John. Behold the Lamb of God. And they turn and follow Him. In the words of Bruce Milne, who was a commentator that I read this week, are you willing to mortgage your personal ambitions and popularity out of a consuming concern for Jesus' preeminence? Are you willing to quit being the discipler, the rock star, the the girl or the guy that everyone wants to follow so that they might turn and begin to follow Christ? We want to give you an opportunity to do just that. Uh, We've shared with you the plan. Let me just go over the plan with you again, so that you're aware of what to what to do. In just a minute, Ethan's going to come. I'm going to pray, and Ethan's going to begin to play and sing, and and um, and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. One of the ways that you can respond today is to simply to walk down this aisle, come to to one of these ledges up here on the ledge that's behind these fake walls. In front of the piano and in front of the drums, there are markers. And you can come and you can pick up one of those markers. And right now, God has just emblazoned a name of someone on your heart and your mind. And we want you simply to come and just simply write a first name. For me, in just a minute, I'm going to write Chad and Joni. Next door neighbors, Chad and Joni. For 28 days, we want you to pray for that person or those neighbors, whoever it is. We want you to pray that God's grace would interrupt their life. Would stop life as they know it. Because if their life stops, they are hopeless. and We want grace to interrupt their life before that happens. So pray for 28 days that grace would interrupt their life That God would lovingly break into people's lives with saving and renewing grace. Connect with those people in friendship. Maybe it's not having them over for dinner. Maybe it's simply, hey... uh, you know, going across and helping them in their yard or, or you, know, you know, you see them out there in the yard. Just take a minute, just step over, just say some words to them, catch up a little bit, talk about the weather. Whatever you got to do, but, but build a relationship. We're not trying to bait and switch here. We don't want you to, to create false friendships so that then later on you can go, ha, now I got you. We want you to build real and loving, genuine, authentic relationships with people who are not like you. Some of you right now, you're thinking, I don't know that I know any lost people. Maybe this will serve to push you out there to know some. And then share the story of God's saving grace in your life. Share how how God interrupted you. And then ultimately, we want you to invite them to come on Easter Sunday. We could go out into our community and we could print up signs and, and, you know, we're going to do some of that at some point. But we could print up door hangers and we could go canvas our neighborhood and hang up, you know, door hangers, cheesy door hangers that say, hey, you know, come to Easter. But how much better would it be if we ask you to go where God's already placed you? And to invite the people that he's already put into your lives. I want to invite you to pray with me. And then when Ethan comes, respond by coming and and writing on these walls. I'm going to write over here uh, in just a minute. After I write, I'm going to be seated right up here. And if God has led you to something else, maybe God's calling you to salvation today. He's called you to follow him. I'll be here. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe he's calling you to join this church. Maybe there's something else entirely that you feel he's calling you to. Then I'll be here to talk with you, but uh, but let's respond and say yes to His invitation. Let's pray. Jesus, we absolutely love you because you first loved us. But God, we know in our own strength that we are incapable of following you in the way that you're calling us to follow. But God, your strength is sufficient. You have called many of us out of darkness. You have caused many of us to see. You have caused many of us to have new identities. You have spoken and we have followed. You know us inside and out and you have called us to yourself. You are transforming and conforming us to the image of Christ. And God, I just pray, Lord, that we would not allow that to simply terminate on us. But God, that you would work through us as channels to reach the people that you've placed in our lives for your grace. We make no apologies for this because we believe that this is better than the cure to cancer or AIDS. This is better than the answer to starvation. This is better than ending war in the world. That the gospel is the most important thing that has ever been given to us or shared with us and God help us to share with an urgency and a compassion and call people to you. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Let's respond. Ethan will direct us. You respond as God leads. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.